Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. This is an outtake episode from uh, Mike Moynihan interviewing me on his Golden Age of Cardboard. So had a good time with that. Again, I don't control the uh, the questions, but it's uh, sometimes uh, generates some interesting stuff. And I've excerpt again. I strongly recommend that you uh, subscribe and and listen and watch his his stuff. But uh, this is a a small portion of it to give you a tidbit of of how that went. Uh, I enjoyed it. I want to thank my sponsors, Tops, Panini, and Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, as well as Compsy.com and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So again, thanks, Mike, and thanks, listeners, and just enjoy this short Saturday episode. You think about classic cars, right? If a car is 30 years old, it becomes vintage. Shouldn't it be a rolling target of what vintage is defined as? I'm not saying it should. I'm thinking in theory, that would make sense. As a card gets to be a certain age, it becomes vintage. It's aged enough where it turns into vintage. That's excellent point. It depends on how you interpret the word vintage. But I like what you've done. The golden age doesn't move. The golden right. age is the golden age. So I think of vintage more as the golden age. Still that alternative, that vintage is a moving target. And frankly, it has been because in the 80s, you, you weren't thinking that even the 70s were vintage. Yeah, and I think it's important Vintage is such a broad term. Pre-war, everybody knows that's pre-war. And then you have, to me, the golden age of cardboard, which is really post-war 48 through, I call it 1980. I consider that the golden age era. You just have different eras instead of just vintage or modern. I think those are too broad. You can just define an era of cardboard. And I think that's much more descriptive and someone can understand that easier to me. It's not that confusing in the sense that when I was doing the IRL real life dinners over here, I would do back to back. Monday would be vintage and Tuesday would be modern. Without defining what that is, people self-selected. Sure. <laughs> Other than Rich Klein, who said I can go either way. A couple <laughs> of them said he, they could go either way, but most of them either tend toward modern or vintage. They self-select without worrying about the exact definition. Sure. I, I don't think people should get hung up on that. Just self-define it, like you said. Um, everybody's going to have their own criteria that they use to, to put themselves in an era. I, I just thought of a parallel of, of you and your legacy in the hobby. You're the Bill James of sports cards, right? You were doing things ahead of their time. Bill James, of course, pioneered sabermetrics in baseball. I think you pioneered price guides and, and the idea of creating a level playing field, which I think is a great vision of what you were trying to do. How did that change for you throughout the 80s, getting into the overproduced era, let's say, the hyperproduced era? You got upper deck coming on the scene and score and you already had tops. The, the market became saturated. How did you how did you zig and zag during that time? What changed for you in the business? Well, our, our cups were running over and Bill James is a contemporary of mine. I remember when he was getting started and I have some of his early stuff. And I actually had a fork in the road where I thought, here I am working on a PhD in statistics. Do I want to get more sports statistics? But I'd always loved cards. It just was obvious that there was a need for cards. But Bill James, I respect the work he did. Again, I got all of his stuff. What the parallel is, that's what you're saying, is that what happened to him and happened to me is that as you got into the 80s, outstrip the ability for the human mind or the human piece of paper <laughs> or a, a physical spreadsheet or, or a, a handwritten tabulation to have any contribution to accuracy. Personal computers hadn't become omni-available and with increasingly uh, powerful software and data analytic tools, he, he would have never gotten to the next level and, and, and neither would I have. The early price guides were not as computerized 
the, the later ones, they, they wouldn't have been possible. So when you had all these different manufacturers and sports and uh, the proliferation of uh, sets were big, you just go back to the 50s, there weren't that many cards. And you could keep track of them. You could almost know them in your head. As you got to the 80s, it became incomprehensible without modern uh, data aids. That's ironic that the, the card surge happened at the same time the technology was growing to allow for that. You know what I mean? It, it allowed for... Well, it lowered the barriers to entry because sure. people don't understand how difficult it is to make a card set. They need to take a picture and then you put some stats on the back, but there's design elements and, and they also have no concept of the levels of approval that are required by the leagues and the players associations. All that stuff is done in the physical world. You're FedExing things back and forth and waiting. It's the digitization of sports cards also it would be included in that there was more more computerized more digitized yeah for sure going back to vintage and your history in the hobby beyond what you did for beckett sports and beckett media i know you're a collector at heart just like the rest of us what are some of your favorite sets just thinking baseball i'd say you know, 56 tops is probably my favorite set it's the first card i ever got 33 Gaudi is near and dear because that was uh, the set that my dad started out collecting. So, and I got a bunch of his Gaudis and still have them. I don't think I'll be trading them off anytime soon. I have traded a few at times and regretted it. <laughs> if my dad has a, a three condition, I'd rather keep that than a five or a six. I'd obviously sure. rather have an eight or a nine, but all the years I was collecting and going to all the key shows, I, I never saw Gaudis. There were eights and nines. Now, I maybe saw a few play balls that were sevens and eights, but it's just amazing the true condition rarity. And, and I saw nice 50s cards within baseball. That kind of brackets it. 56 would be my favorite, 33, my dad's favorite. I think 41 play balls, a little underrated. The pastel, interesting colors, uh, I think, are nicer than a 39 play ball, not very attractive. Do you think play that, ball uh, better the, than 41 pinnacle? You, do you think 35 Diamond Stars is underrated as a set? I collected that by all variations. That's the kind of, again, I don't call that OCD. I call that, actually, I make a big distinction between the O and the C. I never obsessed about it, but I was compelled. <laughs> I had a compulsion to pick up a card if it was a different back or a different year or a different color from those uh, Diamond Stars. I just thought it was a very colorful, beautiful set. It's Art Deco. It's representative of the time. But my dad didn't have as many of those. My dad had 33 Gaudis, 34 Gaudis, some 39 play balls, a bunch of 40 play balls, very few 41s, uh, a couple of heads ups, a couple of Gaudi black and whites, but mainly it was the major sets. Yeah, the 40 play ball to me was groundbreaking. It's a fabulous set. I, I have all the Hall of Famers. And, and what's great is it was first set that really incorporated older players yeah. and current players and, and frowned you, upon at the time. Well, you, know, you, kids wonder, were, you wonder if that was an afterthought. They're all in the higher series. Right. And, and it's maybe they ran out of it. They just wanted to fill it out. It's a great point uh, and highly likely, right? You have cards of Shoeless Joe Jackson and you're missing some key names. There's no Ruth. There's no Gehrig. There's no Cobb. But the reality is there's 80 something Hall of Famers in that set, which is just unbelievable right. for the time. And the nicknames that they put on there on the banners is fantastic. I just I really love that set. I think 41 Playball, the colorized version of 40 Playball essentially is very beautiful and very cool. But I think it's lame. Like they just reused most of the pictures. And, well, too small of a set, maybe. Yeah, too. and and they didn't incorporate the older players, the the retired players, in forty one play ball like they did in forty. So, if those are your favorite sets, what players from that era 
do you really enjoy their cards do you gravitate towards? In the 30s, Ruth and Gehrig. I, I probably am more a fan of Ruth and Gehrig than I was of a Ty Cobb, for example, even though I think Ty Cobb was amazing. Hannes Wagner, same thing. Great players, dominant players of their era. DiMaggio is in between for me. I actually was more of a National League fan, so Stan Musial, uh, maybe even more so than Ted Williams. And Clemente, obviously, was my favorite player really of all time from watching him play and living in the Pittsburgh area in some of my formative years. Is that why he is, his 56 card is the first, or what card is on the first issue of Beckett? 65 tops, maybe. Yeah, the first issue, it wasn't really picking any set year, but I wanted a, a vertical card. <laughs> right. Because otherwise I would have done his rookie. And the Dale Murphy was an effort to reach out to, to m- more modern cards. Although you think back in 79, 84, those years, even the 50s weren't as old as they seem now. For sure. Um, so Mantle, Mays, Aaron. Mantle, Mays, and Aaron, yeah, but, but probably in that order. Yeah. Mantle, then Mays, then Aaron. And Clemente uh, I, probably would be above them in my heart, but Mantle in value sets the pace. I do think that Musial, as you talk about Stan Musial, is criminally undervalued, underrated in the both in the sport and in the hobby. And I've learned that you can be baseball good and not necessarily hobby good. That's a distinction. Well, okay, Stan's problem, number one, too nice a guy maybe. <laughs> he wasn't controversial enough. When I went to the Baseball Hall of Fame fantasy camp, and I stepped up to the plate, and George Brett was my pitcher. He, he didn't die laughing, but he just said, stand the man. Because my baseball batting stance is stand the man musial from, from when I grew up. So what George Brett did, he turned around, he put the glove on his right hand, and pitched to me left-handed. <laughs> and he actually is very ambidextrous. I didn't know that. And so he's throwing me curveballs. On the outside corner, it's umpire, you're uniformed up and all that stuff. I'd like to say it was a liner to right, but it may have been a dribbler. But it got between the first baseman and the second baseman. I'm standing on first base and laughing at George Brett. Is that all you got? That sounds like a wonderful experience. In your decades-long history in the hobby, are there some experiences that just stand out to you, people you got to meet or events you got to attend that like you're like standing around? All of us have that kid in us and we go, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm here. Do you have any of those period uh, things that you can remember and recall? I'm trying to make a list of those and I haven't uh, finished it, but it certainly includes, I've been to every national and that was pretty uh, amazing. Uh, not just the first one of the 91 national in Anaheim. And, and the next one is always hopefully going to be the best one ever, which it actually might be. The Hawaii shows were huge highlights. I missed the first one, but I made all the other ones up until kind of I retired, but that was a great fun to go over there. Close friends with Kit Young. Starting the first card show in Dallas back in the early 70s with my buddy Gervis Ford, having a card shop that was on the ground floor. There weren't models for how to do it. So I like trying to be a pace setter. I like doing things that haven't been done. The price guides just burning the midnight oil, but seeing the results of your labor, those were fun. Every national's fun. You get to see people that you don't see that often. So card shows, going up to Larry Fritch's and, and getting a personal tour there. Some of these amazing, being spending the day with Barry Halpert is how the first uh, Topps Archives auction and, re, you know, getting a, you know, insider tour of the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown and, and some amazing, not, not so much the players. I've always tried to the player, treated players as regular guys and they're not, <laughs> but they are regular guys other than their amazing skill of 